I'm Carrie Ann. And I'm Allison, and I was not ready, even though I said I was. (laughs) And this is Podcast Without an Audience. Where two friends pick two topics and find intersections. Or not. And this is our once-a-month-ish episode. Of the not. Of the not. This is our cult episode that we do once a month-ish. And I cover an actual cult, and Carrie Ann covers a cult piece of media. Yep. We don't do intersections because this is our off week and we just do what feels right in our hearts. Which is to just talk about culty things and that let that be the intersection. My cult is like rough. Like it's like oh, they're all they're all really interesting, but this is just like such a hate group. Like I'm talking yeah. about Westboro Baptist Church. Oof. It is so hard to be researching like all oh. the hatred and oh, carry all the so muck. hard yeah well we'll balance it out this week because my cult classic is amazing mm-hmm. and was such a comfort watch like easy i mean it was a little horror-esque like it's a horror comedy musical right it's campy it's campy but also great so mm-hmm. we'll start heavy and then light that unlike great. previous episodes where we start heavy and heavy or start light and heavy right start light and light i don't know all of the options it's gonna be great before we get started do you want to share about oshkosh yeah so this was year number however many we've been going for oshkosh um my dad my brother and i have been going to oshkosh most every year since the 20 teens mm-hmm. um do a little camping check out some air shows this year we made it to uh women wednesday we oh, usually yeah. miss it mm. um but this year the women's luncheon was sold out before i could register um but we ended up going to a women's forum on aviation oh nice got to hear some really just badass women talk about flying and their passion which was great uh, check out, checked out some workshops, did a little shopping. It's the air shows for me. Oh, I for sure. I love a night, uh, nighttime air show. Oh, 100%. Like fireworks, fireworks going off of the wings of airplanes at night. Wow. That just the coolest so shit. dangerous. Like, I'm not a doctor, but like, do you know what I mean? Like, that sounds <laughs> pretty dangerous. It looks dangerous. And at the same time, it looks so satisfying. Oh, I'm sure it looks great. Yeah. Yeah, it's I'm very just, cool. Like, I'm a glass half empty kind of person, unfortunately. There's a glass, and it is both half full and half empty. Wow. I love that. As long as we can agree that there's a glass. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, listen, I know there's a glass. Some people have a glass. Some people have a gold embossed cup. Uh-huh. Oh, uh-huh. yeah. Well, we do. Uh, We're having vodka with cranberry today. It. Yeah. Delicious. You can hear little ice cubes. Mine is actually empty. Mine is empty, too. I know. This is going to be an interesting episode. We're starting an episode. (laughs) We won't tell you how many drinks in, but both of our glasses are currently empty. And I'm I'm ready to roll. I am, too. Uh, Do you have any updates? Anything you want to share with us? What's going on in your life? Nothing. I got lots of things to celebrate, but nothing I can share on the pod. So just... Cheers. Cheers to that. Cheers to all the upcoming things in life. Thank you. I love it. I love everything and everyone. Not everyone, but mostly everyone. (laughs) Uh, Love humanity. People are questionable. Sure. Yeah. Speaking of which, let's talk about Westboro Baptist Church. Uh, If we have to. Okay. You go first, right? I go first. So Westboro has been on my list forever because it's such a modern cult. Right. Um, And those of us who are in our early 30s grew up with this probably being the first real life understanding that we had of cults like being old enough to to know who they were and to have an opinion about it and it's the first group at least for me that was an equal opportunity hater like Mm -hmm. they don't like anybody they hate everyone they hate everyone i don't get it yeah it doesn't make any sense like how do they have a membership how do they have a following well they're all related Oh, well, that would check out. Yeah. Okay. So, Westboro Baptist Church originated as a branch of the Eastside Baptist Church, 
mm. which was established in Topeka, Kansas in 1931. So they moved from the east side to the west side? <laughs> well, yeah, I guess so. Or Westboro, at least. Possibly. You know, my Kansas geography is, <laughs> could, be, could be better. So 23 years later in 1954, the church hired a man named Fred Phelps mm. as an associate pastor. Fred was charismatic. Of course he was. Of course he was. He was a lawyer, and I think at first he was seen as this charismatic leader who uh, many saw a lot of great potential in. Yeah. Um, as goes the story for most cult leaders, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. One year after he joined, he was promoted to a pastor at a new church called Westboro Baptist. The first service was held on November 27, 1955. I didn't realize it was that old. Mm-hmm. I know. Wow. I know. Okay. Yeah. Keep telling me things. So Fred Phelps soon broke ties with the Eastside Church to become independent of any Baptist denomination. So this is where we first see our like first hint of cult behavior, right? Breaking away. When he broke from the East Side sect, he started having these really radical sermons, which tended to alienate a lot of its members. So most members of Westboro Baptist Church either returned to the East Side Baptist Church or to other denominations entirely. Yeah. What Fred Phelps was left with was a super small congregation that was composed mostly of his family and a few close friends. That's concerning. It is. It really is. Like it's, it's like red flag number one. If it's you against the world, like I just don't get that mentality. In nineteen sixty four, Phelps founded the Phelps Chartered Law Firm. This law firm would be used many times in the coming years to sue various companies who, quote, got in the way of their rights. So we got a cult leader who's also a lawyer. What's really interesting is that when you pull up any any article that's written about him, it states that he's a human rights lawyer. A human rights lawyer. Which Whose human rights are is he a lawyer for? His cult. <laughs> That's it. That's period. It. Exactly. It's it's wild though cuz I've never I've never seen that term being used for in a way that wasn't human rights. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So the five lawyers that are currently making up this particular law firm are all children of Fred Phelps. Of course they are. The Kansas City Supreme Court disbarred Phelps in 1979, stating that Phelps showed, quote, little regard for the ethics of his profession. Thus calling himself a human rights lawyer when actively hating all humans. Correct. So what do the members of the Westboro Baptist Church actually believe in? Great question. The members of this organization believe that the Bible is true. And absolute, which is common. That's yeah, not an that's, uncommon. Yeah. And that's, that is, you know, everybody's entitled to their beliefs. Um, but they focus on sin and the results that sin has on our society and on our world. Huh. So they believe God is not merciful and that he punishes those who sin. So, like, really fire and brimstone shit. Right. The group's major platforms focus on abolishing the Jewish faith. As well as LGBT rights. Yep. Why? Uh, you may be asking. Well, Jesus was killed by a Jew. So oh. that, that's their argument for... Surprising. That's a new take for me. <laughs> yeah, that's their take. And I mean, of course, we know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Right. Which is clearly about the LGBTQ plus folks and has nothing to do with hospitality. And war. And war and a man giving up his daughter to be sexually assaulted. Correct. Nothing to do with any of that. No, no, no. Got it. So it is also preached that within this cult that God will save a small few during the end times. And by a small few... Like this guy's family, and there's that's not. It. They don't say 144,000. They're not quoting that particular scripture, um, but that the rest of the world will burn in hell forever. So, quote: They believe that God chooses some to be saved, and those lucky few cannot resist God's call. 
but God chooses not to save most, and those unfortunate souls will burn in hell forever. Mm. This is part of their frequently asked questions piece on the Westboro Baptist Church website. Huh. Quote, your best hope is that you are among those he has chosen. Your prayer every day should be that you might be. And if you are not, nothing you say or do will serve as a substitute. Fred Phelps and his small congregation provide Westboro Baptist Church funding. This is interesting. It's internal funding, uh-huh. which a lot of churches are. Right, But right. They, they don't accept any outside uh, the group doesn't solicit or accept outside donations, which nobody's like giving them outside donations. Right, right. But it it just shows how closed off yeah. this particular organization is. In addition to this income, the church makes money by winning or settling civil lawsuits involving the church. During the 1990s, the group sued Topeka, the city, multiple times for failing to provide sufficient protection during its protests. And we'll get into the protests. Are these, and maybe you're going to cover this, are these the people who will, like, piss you off just enough so that you'll hit them so that they can then sue you? A hundred percent. Yeah, okay. One thousand percent. I thought that's what you were saying, but I just wanted to confirm. Yeah. Um... Although they lost most of their cases, the Westboro Baptist Church did win $43,000 excuse me, in legal fees in 1993. According to Shirley Phelps Roper, his daughter, they also won more than $100,000 in 1995 in a lawsuit against Kansas Funeral Picket Act, which they claim violated their First Amendment rights. Again, we're going to get to all this. Okay. Because the Phelps family represented Westboro Baptist Church in in court, they can put the fees they win towards supporting the church. End quote. So that's interesting. Okay. They're they're not paying for legal services, so they're receiving those. So it's like a tax write off, sort of. To me, it's so interesting that they would pursue a legal career when law is based in fact and in theory, in fairness, in theory. When their own individual cult believe their beliefs are rooted in hate and falsehoods. Westboro Baptist Church began a new tradition in the late 1980s. Protesting various events would become one of the things that Westboro Baptist Church is known for. In 1989, they picketed a business for the first time. After hearing about a tea room or a public lavatory that was being used as a gay meetup site it was basically like a bathhouse right they decided to picket this particular business of course they did they soon began picketing at gate park as well in 1991 which was also known as a meetup location for gay men in the early 1990s soon the protests were taking place in more locations and more often within the next three years The church was traveling across the country at that point. Westboro was catching a lot more negative attention because of the nature of the picketing strategy, which we'll get into here shortly. But they were picketing, but they were picking up media attention and developing several enemies which made it surprising, but also not surprising, when on August 20th, 1995, a pipe bomb exploded outside the home of Shirley Phelps Roper, who again was the daughter of Fred Phelps. Nobody was hurt, but there was property damage to her vehicle and her home. And a year later, two men were arrested and eventually admitted to the crime. They had believed that Shirley's home was actually her father's home, and they were wanting to retaliate against the church's anti-LGBT protests um, and, you know, all of their shitty behavior. One of them was fined with $1,700, and the other one served 16 days in prison and had to do 100 hours of community community service. So let's talk about what the picketing actually consisted of. And I think we're all pretty familiar with this organization, but for those who aren't, Westboro Baptist Church creates handmade signs with horribly offensive things on them. The most famous being the God hates 
blank, uh, which I'm not going to say. It's the F word, not the other F word, but the LGBT slur. Right. Other extremely offensive examples include, thank God for dead soldiers. Yep. Christians cause F marriage. Your pastor is a whore. Oh, mm-hmm. I have not heard that one. Lots of lots of very problematic and extremely offensive signs. But super, like, consistent across the board of, like, they hate soldiers, they hate conservatives, they hate liberals, they hate everyone who is not them. And they're going to offend you. Correct. Regardless. 100%. We're going to get into some specific examples. Good. Um, it's also really hard to talk about. Yeah. On October 12th, 1998, Matthew Shepard, a gay student in Wyoming, was killed by injuries inflicted during a brutal hate crime beating mm-hmm. where he was left tied to a fence. Yep. Matthew Shepard's funeral was held four days later, and you guessed it, Westboro Baptist Church was there to protest the funeral. Oh, gosh. They waved signs saying, thank God for AIDS. And on other super, and uh, they had others that had super homophobic homophobic slurs as well that I will not be repeating. Not only did they picket his funeral, they also petitioned to have a statue built in a public park in Casper, Wyoming, that would read, quote, Matthew Shepard entered hell (gasps) October 12th, 1998, in defiance of God's warning. Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is an abomination. They petitioned to have a fucking... Statue. Statue. I I can't. Oh, my gosh. They have also devoted a page on their website that is still active. I did not go on their website because I'm like, fuck you. Like, I'm not going to give you. No, no more hits on your website. But they have, apparently, they have a section of their, um, of their website that is a, quote, memorial to Matthew Shepard with depictions of him burning in hell. Oh, my gosh. That's that's devastating. That's truly unbelievable. How uh, heartless do you have to be? I know. After the terrorist attacks on September 11th, 2001, the Westboro Baptist Church was very open about how it felt, which was justified. Yeah. Quote, we told you right after it happened five years ago that the deadly events of 9-11 were directly outpouring of divine retribution. The what? immediate visitation of god's wrath and vengeance and punishment for america's horrendous sodomite sins that worse and more of it is on the way we further told you that any politician any political official any preacher telling you differently as to the cause and interpretation of 9-11 is a dastardly lying false prophet cowardly and mean and headed for hell Oh, my goodness. And thank you with him. God is no longer with America, but is now America's enemy. God himself is now America's terrorist. End quote. That is a quote from Fred Phelps on September 8th, 2006. What? I know. What a twisted perspective. A hundred percent. Quote, in June 2005, Westboro Baptist Church began picketing the funerals of American soldiers killed in Iraq and and Afghanistan. The group mentions that God is punishing America for tolerating homosexuality and prosecuting Westboro Baptist Church. They even claim that God has chosen to use improvised explosive devices or IEDs to kill American soldiers because of an August 1995 attack on Westboro Baptist Church compound with a small explosive device. Is that not just... Oh my gosh. It's not about you. No. In a June 2005 interview with Fox News, Fred Phelps said, God is visiting the sins upon America by killing their kids with IEDs. And the more, the merrier. And what? Quote, I fucking know. I can't. This made me so sick to write. I, it, I, like, I don't know if I forgot or, but it's, it's so much. I knew it was bad. I just, I didn't, I think that you hear Westboro Baptist Church, you know, kind of the basics of it. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of the basics of it. And then you block out all the rest. Mm-hmm. The really traumatic things that hurt a lot of people. Oh my goodness. It's a terrorist organization. It is. Their it entire is. purpose is to inflict fear 
and terrorize and terrorize citizens on march 10th 2006 the westboro baptist church picketed the funeral of matthew snyder a marine who was killed serving in iraq the wbc members held signs reading thank god for dead soldiers and you're going to hell Mm. Matthew's father, Albert Snyder, sued Westboro Baptist Church for defamation, invasion of privacy, and emotional distress during a trial in 2007. And? He originally won a $10.9 million judgment, but it was reversed on the appeal in the Fourth Circuit Court of Appeals. On March 8, 2010, the U.S. Supreme Court agreed to hear an appeal. On March 19th, 2010, the Fourth Circuit ordered Albert Snyder to pay more than $16,000 for a Westboro Baptist Baptist Church's court counsel. Excuse me? Snyder described the Fourth Circuit's order as a, quote, a slap in the face. Absolutely. In early March 2011, the Supreme Court ruled that the First Amendment's protected Westboro Baptist Church's right to hold protests at funerals, end quote. Right. It's just, it's unbelievable. I don't have the words. I don't either. I really, really don't. I, I, it, it's such a hard argument, right? Because like freedom of speech is something that nobody wants to go anywhere. Right. I just, it, and, and we never expect it to go here. Because how could we predict that people would be so cruel? Like there's no way to predict. No. That lack of humanity. Mm-hmm. I a hundred percent agree. Quote, on August 2nd, 2006, five Amish girls were murdered in a Pennsylvania schoolhouse. The Westboro Baptist Church announced plans to picket their funerals, but agreed to abstain in exchange for one hour of airtime on a talk show host, Michael Gallagher's radio program. Right? It's like a hostage situation. How cool. It's blackmail. It is. Yeah. 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 I don't know if that's the right word, but it's... it's, But the concept, yeah. yeah, yeah. I got you. On Fox News program Hannity and Combs, the daughter, Shirley Phelps Roper, said, quote, they, meaning the Amish girls, did deserve to die, end quote. So fucked up. I'm so ashamed of, like, I don't even... It's just so shameful. Yeah. They should be so ashamed of their behavior. Oh, absolutely. On June 5th, 2007, Shirley Phelps Roper was arrested while protesting in uh, Nebraska. Shirley had allowed her son to stand on an American flag while she wore a flag around her waist, allowing it to drag along the ground as she walked. Shirley was charged under a Nebraska flag uh, desecration law, and she was also charged with negligent child abuse also disturbing the peace and contributing to the delinquency of a minor. Um, Because, you know, of course, she was allowing her son to violate the flag law. Right. Um, On July 27th, 2010, the city of Bellevue in Nebraska dropped the charges of the flag desecration and contributing to the delinquency of a minor due to a federal judge declaring the flag desecration law unconstitutional. Which is surprising. I'm surprised that they would... Deem it unconstitutional? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't understand any of the hype around the flag stuff, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that the desecration laws have been on the books for so long. Right. But, I mean, we see people walking around all the times with, like, American flag shorts and... Oh, for sure. Bikinis. And bikinis yeah. and all the things. That's, like, how... Um, Which is supposed to be... Like, historically, really a shitty thing to do. Uh-huh. And it's super offensive. Yeah. That's how Old Navy, like, stays in business. Right. They're big holidays, the 4th of July. They The city also paid Phelps Roper $17,000 in a settlement agreement in exchange for her dropping a pending lawsuit against the city. Wait, they paid her how much to drop a lawsuit? 17000 So they really are staying in business because of yeah. all these lawsuits. Correct. However, the city, the city did not drop the charge of disturbing the peace and negligent child abuse. Westboro Baptist Church members have been banned from other countries because of their hateful views. 
In August 2008, Westboro Baptist Church announced its plans to protest a funeral of a man beheaded on a Greyhound bus in Canada. Do you know that? Um, do you know that story? I don't think That's another, so. That's another, he was experiencing like psychosis. Oh my gosh. Um, in response, Canada barred the group's members from entering the country and the funeral was conducted uninterrupted because they weren't allowed. In February 2009, the group planned to travel to, to Britain to protest a stage a staging of the Larmy Project. Sure. A highly respected play that documented the hate murder of a gay student, Matthew Shepard, and how the incident impacted the community. In response, Britain banned Fred Phelps and Shirley Phelps Roper from traveling to the United Kingdom. End quote. So ultimately, there's been a lot of things that have happened so they're in the spotlight but it's not good press they're not like they're not getting a ton of followers so how big are they they're not big it's th- it's less than 100 people i i knew it was small I just like these two same people keep coming up over and over mm-hmm. and i guess they make a lot of fuss that's probably their purpose right like because a lot of these cults their purpose is like hey we want to like teach you what we know because we want you to be saved. Right. But the way that I that I read with the the folks who were going to be saved, it wasn't necessarily like they're they're trying to like get their word out necessarily. They're just like you better hope to be one of the ones that are saved, and we know that we are. It doesn't sound like they're looking for converts or for anyone right. to come and join them. And they're not taking outside um, donations. Yeah. It's just them. They're the elite. They're the best. Exactly. Just ask anybody. Ultimately, there have been no new reported members to enter the organization in quite some time. In fact, many have left the organization over the years. Quote, since 2004, over 20 members of Westboro Baptist Church, mostly family members, have left the organization and the Phelps family. Several of them have been accused have accused Westboro Baptist Church of brainwashing. Yep. Which, 1,000%. I see that, absolutely. Mark Phelps, who is the estranged son of founder Fred Phelps, left the organization in 1973. That's really early. It is really early, and he began formal healing therapy in 1988 and worked towards healing and restoration, overcoming the horrible pain and fear from the 19 years of living with his father. Good for him. Mark was rebaptized in a local church in 1994 and stated, quote, If I had to take my family to court and, convin- and convict them of being followers of Christ, I'm not sure I would find the evidence. Libby Phelps Alvarez, a granddaughter of the late Fred Phelps and daughter of Fred Phelps Jr., left Westboro Baptist Church in 2009. In 2017, she released a book entitled Girl on a Wire, Walking the Line Between Faith and Freedom. Ooh. The book documents her years in Westboro Baptist Church that led up to her decision to leave and eventually, you know, get away from the whole family. Phelps Alvarez is now an advocate for gay equality. Oh, I love that. Zach Phelps Roper is the grandson of Fred Phelps and the fourth sibling of Phelps roper family to leave westboro baptist church besides megan and grace mentioned who we're going to mention um after attempting to leave the organization five times previously he finally left in 2014 after his views began to change he now preaches about a life of empathy and unconditional love oh Danielle Phelps, granddaughter of fred phelps left the church in 2014 shortly after her father's death she is openly gay and has joined the U.S. Marine Corps after leaving the church. Good for Hell her. Yeah. Hell yeah. In an interview with Harry Robinson on the All Out Attack podcast, Danielle revealed that Stephen Drain, father of Lauren Drain, and one of the elders of the church after Fred Phelps passed, and the rest of her family have been reportedly been excommunicated from the church. Ooh. We'll kind of get into that with the okay. dad here. Um. And actually, here it comes. Perfect. (laughs) Um, Here comes the interesting conclusion to Fred Phelps. Quote, on March 15th, 2004, Nathan Phelps, 
who's, you know, Fred's estranged son, reported that Phelps was in very poor health and was receiving hospice care. He said that Phelps had been excommunicated from the church in August 2013 and then moved into a house where he, quote, basically stopped eating and drinking. Wait, Fred Phelps, the originator. The original was excommunicated from his own church. We're going to get to it. Okay. We're going to cross this bridge. His statements were supported by his brother, Mark. Church spokesperson, Steve Drain, declined to answer questions about Phelps's excommunication and denied that the church had a single leader. The church's official website said that member status is private and did not confirm or deny the excommunication. Phelps died of natural causes shortly before midnight on March 19, 2014, at the age of 84. His daughter, Shirley, stated that a funeral for his father would not be held because the church does not, quote, worship the dead. Also, I think that they were afraid that people would pick at his funeral. Yeah. According to Nathan Phelps, Fred Phelps's body was immediately cremated. And according to his granddaughter, Megan Phelps Roper, Phelps crema- cremated remains were, bur- were buried in an unmarked grave in Kansas. Oh, my gosh. Phelps had been reportedly suffering from some form of dementia in his final years and started behaving irrationally. This led the church members to believe that God had condemned him. (gasps) It had been claimed that Phelps had, quote, a softening of heart at the end of his life. According to accounts published in a memoir written by Phelps's granddaughter, Megan Phelps Roper, and reports from the New York Times, citing former members of the church. This includes an incident in 2013 in which Phelps is said to have stepped outside the church and called over to members of Planting Peace, a non-profit that bought a house on the other street and painted it with, like, the, the rainbow. rainbow. There's now a trans one right next to it, right? I love it. Yeah. So he steps out of his church and calls across to the street to those people and he says you're good people so that seems out of character this is frank Mm -hmm. fred fred in an interview with npr megan phelps roper said that his outburst was the proximate cause of phelps being excommunicated a claim that the church has denied According to Phelps's grandson and former church member Zach Phelps Roper, Phelps's actions were regarded as rank blasphemy by the church members. This is an absolutely horrific cult, and I truly hope that they can find peace and healing and at very least stop projecting their own shit onto innocent bystanders. Oh, absolutely. But what is different about the Westboro Baptist Church and other cults that I've covered is that there is so much need for outside validation. Mm-hmm. Like there's totally a difference between feeling your religious feeling so strong that you feel like you need to convert others and all that stuff. Yeah. But like this is not that. No, this is not trying to do good. They're not trying to convert. They're not trying to bring people into the cult or into the fold. They're Mm -mm. not trying to save people. Mm -mm. It is strictly condemnation. And it is such a hateful cult. First of all, I've never seen a cult turn on their leader like that. Yeah. For being like, you're good people because they are good people. And we don't know what kind of people people are based on their house or what they look like. Like. Or who they love. Or who they love. But we do know what kind of people are who spread hate. Exactly. Um, and we're not cool with that. Nope. Not here on this podcast anyway. So. Nope. Put that on a shirt. We're not cool with it. That is Westboro Baptist Church. Wow. Thanks. I hate it. Thanks. I hate it too. So let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we are talking about our cult piece of media. And Carrie Ann's yawning. I am. <laughs> You're nailing it. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. It's the drinks. All right, we'll be back. And we're back. We are. Don't call it a comeback. (laughs) 
All right. Do you remember that total eclipse of the sun about a week ago? What? The total eclipse of the sun about a week ago? No. Like an actual eclipse? No, like the one that inspired the movie because that's what brought Audrey to to oh, the flower she, shop. Okay, no. I wasn't I wasn't there yet. Okay. So there was a total eclipse of the sun about a week before this movie was made. Sure, sure, sure. And the success of the film is almost as magical as the eclipse that gave us Audrey too. Mm. Little Shop of Horrors is a 1986 horror film um, that's also a comedy and musical directed by Frank Oz. Mm. Do you know the name Frank Oz? Mm-mm. We'll come back to it because you should. Got we it. will. We do. We just don't know that we do. Okay. Um so our 1986 film is adapted from a 1982 off-Broadway musical by composer Alan Menken and writer Howard Ashman, which was also adapted from a film. So it's a film musical film. Oh, wow. Um, the 1960 film is also called Little Shop of Horrors. And the director is Robert, or I'm sorry, the director is Roger Corman. Mm-hmm. How there- do we know we watched the same Little Shop of Horrors? Did you watch the one with the guy from Honey, We Shrunk, Shrunk the, the Kids? Kids? Yep. Yeah. We, were, we watched the same <laughs> one. Um, so there are some differences between the film, the play, and the OG film, but from the 1986 film, or play to film adaptation, they cut six songs. Huh. So they also changed the ending, but we're going to come back to that. Okay. This movie genuinely has everything. We have a Greek-esque trio that reminds me of the muses from Hercules. Mm-hmm. Um, my partner pointed out that two of them are from the TV show Martin. Oh, yeah, they are. Yeah. Yep. Wow. I know. Throwback. We also have cameos from some of the biggest actors of the 80s and 90s, including John Candy, James Belushi, Bill Murray, and Steve Martin. Steve Martin. Steve Martin was like this weird, like, Eddie character. That's exactly who he reminded me of. Yep. Uh, Bill Murray's character, like, when he came on screen, I just kind of looked at my partner. I was like, what (laughs) is Bill Murray doing here? Yeah. Who invited him? Somebody did. He's such a masochist in this film. Probably Steve. I'm sure it was Steve. Um, We have dramatic music, cheesy set design, a talking plant, true love, true love. True love. Um, And the feeling that this movie was made in two days with like a shoestring budget when in actuality it was made with a $25 million budget. Shut up. Yep. The original film, uh, the 1960s version, was made with a budget of thirty thousand dollars oh wow now i did not do the math as to what a thirty thousand dollar budget from 1960s to today is but um it's big one still a million dollars big budget not a 25 million dollar budget no way but impressive so you know i love the rotten tomatoes um synopsis it's like my favorite thing so a meek flower shop assistant seymour played by Rick Moranis pines for his co-worker Audrey, who's played by Ellen Green. During a total eclipse, he discovers an unusual plant, which he names Audrey Two, sometimes referred to as Tui, mm-hmm. which feeds on only human flesh and blood. The growing plant attracts a great deal of business for the previously struggling store. After Seymour feeds Audrey's boyfriend, Oren, played by Steve Martin, to the plant... After Oren's accidental death, he must come up with more bodies for the increasingly bloodthirsty plant, mm-hmm. which leaves out so much. Oh, for sure. But it's also a great synopsis. This movie, um, again, breaks our um, cult film rule. It has a 90% on the tomato meter with a 79% audience score. Nice. And actually, even though it kind of breaks our rule of like critics hate it more than the audience, which our early cult films, that was definitely the case. In this instance, the critics liked it. The audience did not. Um, and that's basically what happened when it released. Um, it was really well received by critics, but audiences did not respond positively when it first hit box offices. It only cleared its um, budget by like $10 million. Oh, wow. So this movie film... 
musical, mm-hmm. horror, classic. Covers, above. Right. Covers some really dark topics. We talk about poverty, domestic violence, sadistic dentistry, and greed. So Audrey 2, The Plant, promises Seymour basically all of life's pleasures and really anything that he wants. And it kind of hits the sell your soul to the devil trope. Mm -hmm. Like the devil comes and says, hey, if you'll do this, I'll give you anything you want. Unlimited uh, polish. Unlimited knowledge and power. Polish knowledge. Polish knowledge and power. Um, But in this instance, rather than being like Jafar and the genie in the bottle, it's um, or the devil who was in Georgia. Mm Mm-hmm. It's a plant. (laughs) And in this movie, we're applying it to the American dream. Seymour is an orphan who has fallen in love with his fellow shopkeeper and just wants to get out of Skid Row with the woman he loves. Audrey, too, promises Seymour all of this and more if Seymour will feed it uh, human blood and flesh. Mm -hmm. Um, And it starts to work. Yeah. So Audrey, one's boyfriend, is quote-unquote removed chopped up in little pieces. Sure, sure, sure. Um, and fed to Audrey too, which basically lives, leaves Seymour with Audrey. Right. Hit the girl of his dreams. Um, then we... So that was like removing the first barrier. Mm-hmm. So Seymour wants three things. He wants um, to get out of Skid Row with the girl and then have the American dream. She's the one singing about the American dream in the film, mm-hmm. but you know. Um, so girlfriends removed or boyfriends removed, leaving Seymour with the girl. Then the shop owner, um, Mr. Mensick, uh, is also eaten by Audrey, which allows Seymour the opportunity to be close to the press and get money. Um, eventually he's approached to sell little Audrey twos. And Seymour's consciousness or conscious finally kind of catches up to him, and they decide they have to kill Audrey too. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about Audrey too. The director, producer, and crew were trying to figure out how to make the plant move more convincingly because this is the '80s, and they don't have all the like technology of today. Yeah, no CGI. It's all puppeteering. It was a puppet. Audrey's a puppet. So the film. When the film, um, when they were filming, they couldn't get it to look like not a puppet, mm-hmm. which is a problem when you're puppeteering. Sure. So they discovered accidentally that if they ran the film forwards or backwards at a faster than normal speed, the footage looked more convincing or lifelike. Mm. So they ended up filming the puppet at a slower speed and then moved it faster to play it at a normal speed when it was being played. Oh, cool. Isn't that fun? Um, Interestingly, there are no blue screens or opticals involved in any of Audrey 2's scenes. Huh. With the exception of the ending where the plant is electrocuted. Mm -hmm. Spoiler alert. Audrey was made in six stages of growth, and there are three different versions of uh, Mushnik's shop. Mm-hmm. So, like, they have three different size Audrey puppets mm-hmm. and then three shops where they were filming because the size of the puppet. Right. You know, and. So they had three of the same scene. Right. Wow. With six different Audreys. Cool. Um, each of the plants had to be cleaned, repainted, and patched up at the end of every shooting day. Huh. Yeah. So. At the end of shooting, it would take an additional two to three hours just to get Audrey to ready to be puppeted the next day. Um, performing in the plant or performing the plant in its largest form required 60 puppeteers. No way. Yeah. 60 for like the end scene mm-hmm. just before she's electro- electrocuted. Wow. We got 60 folks. Okay, so here's how you know Frank Oz. The puppeteers for Audrey, too, had also worked with Frank Oz on other projects. Labyrinth? Including (gasps) Labyrinth. Yep. Are those Jim Henson puppets? Was it a Jim Henson puppet? Because Jim Henson was... The puppeteer, right? Well, I think he... Didn't he direct? 
Uh, so Frank Oz is known for um, The Muppet Show, Sesame Street, Star Wars 2, Muppets Take Manhattan. So he works with Jim Henson and is yes. like the, not Jim Henson, but the second in command. Right. Sure. Got yeah. it. Um, and a bunch of others. Cool. Like his, his, uh, his alternative name is Fozzie Bear. Wow. I've never heard you make that noise. Um, Yep. Um, He also directed some of the Energizer Bunny ads. Oh, thank God. I've been wondering who who did that, you know? The genius behind the Energizer Bunny? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, thank Frank Oz, because he did this. Also, what a great name. Yeah. Frank Richard Osnowicz Wickets. Nice. Yep. Nailed it. Anyways, uh, his parents were also puppeteers. Wow. N- I wish I came from a line of puppeteers. You know what I mean? Don't we all? I mean, that's the dream. Francis and Isidore were English puppeteers. What a cool, what a cool group. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um... I'm so glad that we researched that because otherwise, how would we know? Mm-hmm. Shout out to Frank Oz. Yeah, he's one of the primary puppeteers responsible for the development of Jem Henson's Sesame Street Muppet Show and 75 other Muppet productions. Hell yeah. So not only is this movie a horror comedy musical, it's also the Muppets. Okay. Do, do, do. Lots of cameos in this movie. All right, we're going to talk really quickly because there's some other things happening in this film, like as a backdrop to the amazing puppeteering. Uh, Seymour wants the American dream, though, of course, Audrey is the one who initially did the song about it. She wants a disposal in her sink and a washer and dryer and chain link fence. And she wants for Seymour to mow her lawn. Mm. <laughs> As Carrion lowers, lowers her glasses. glasses. If you know what I mean. Audrey, too, then represents the lengths that people are willing to go to to achieve this dream that is defined in better homes and gardens. So we as a society are willing to go to great extremes for this life, including hurting people uh, emotionally or physically to achieve that success, which is pretty well represented in like this larger allegory that is this film. Mm-hmm. We're exposed to some pretty significant domestic violence. Yeah. Though it's done in a semi-comedic kind of way. We see a woman who's in this toxic relationship with a sadistic dentist. She offers up all these reasons that she's going to stay with him. He's a professional and, you know, she's trying to stay out of poverty and off the streets. She desires to have this simple life but doesn't know how to leave her abuser. One line that really stood out to me was something akin to, if he's this mean while he's having fun, imagine what he's like when he's mad. Oh, sheesh. I know. It landed hard. Yeah, for sure. Um, And then Seymour and Mr. Mushnick are having a conversation, and Seymour says, Audrey 2 is not a healthy girl. And Mr. Mushnick says, neither is Audrey 1. Oh. Like, there's this recognition that Seymour isn't in a great place. He's really meek and mild and he's you know, he was taken in taken in by Mish- Mr. Mushnick who says he almost sees him like a son even yeah. though he's raised him for all these years. Doing him a favor basically right. is what it seems like. Yeah, and letting him live in the basement. And then we have Audrey who's also super unhealthy, but they found each other and the goal is that together they could be a healthy partnership Mm -hmm. there's also a lot of homelessness in this film little shop of horrors is set on skid row which is an area of los angeles known for its high homelessness rate um many of the people who live there live without access to food shelter medical care and the movie really tries to shed light on these conditions especially one of the opening songs called skid row Mm -hmm. which reminds me of rent oh so much the the set Yes. Like when that opening scene. Exactly. The the movie has the style that it looks like a Broadway set. Right. Which is which is because intentional. It was. Like it was an off Broadway mm-hmm. show. Right. So yeah, it looks it looks like it like 
rent. It should be, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And I love the way that it's done. And I love that it's like setting this juxtaposition. Like these are all the things that we want, but this is where we currently are. And it, it, it almost sheds light on no matter how hard we work in this little shop on this skid row, we're, we could be working for the rest of our lives and we're never going to achieve the American dream without some kind of outside influence. And the outside influence in this case happens to be Audrey too. But people are doing what they have to do to survive and there's so much resilience in that. But how awful that even nearly 30 years after this movie came out, we still have these issues, particularly of homelessness and poverty. It makes sense why Seymour is so enticed by Audrey too. His plant is the ticket out. Mm -hmm. Um, So the movie goes along and all of its absurdity, um, you know, the boyfriend dentist ends up being killed by laughing gas. Um, Bill Murray makes an appearance. He goes on a talk show host with uh, weird Willy Wellnitz or something like that. Um, but at the end, we have two paths. The happy path is the ending of the movie that we're all super familiar with. Seymour and Audrey, one, live happily ever after. And the original ending, the off-Broadway ending, Seymour and Audrey, one, get eaten by Audrey, two. <gasps> A 23-minute alternate ending, which was faithful to, like, the original stage ending and the original movie from the 1960s, Audrey and Seymour 1 are eaten by Audrey and Seymour 1. <laughs> Audrey 1 and Seymour are eaten by Audrey 2. And after it becomes a worldwide sensation, the world is taken over by Audrey 2s, by, like, little Audrey 2s, mm-hmm. which sort of feels like a B-level horror movie. Yeah, for sure. Um, And it featured miniature effects by Richard Conway, who worked nearly a year and spent $5 million on the sequence of Audrey 2's Takeover and two songs, which were a reprise of Somewhere That's Green, in which Audrey, after being attacked by Audrey 2, tells Seymour to feed her to the plant after she dies so that she can always be with him. Oh, God. I know. So Seymour, um, in the original version, Seymour pulls Audrey from the plant's jaws, but she is mortally wounded. Seymour sadly fulfills her dying wish to be fed back to the plant so that in a way they can be together forever. Seymour learns that botanical exclusive Patrick Martin plans to propagate and sell Audrey 2s with or without Seymour's consent, and realizing that Audrey 2 is planning global conquest, resolves to destroy the plant. In response, Audrey 2 tears down the shop, finishes, or fishes Seymour from the rubble, and eats him alive. Mm. Uh, the plant spits out Seymour's glasses and laughs victoriously. Um, the name of the song at this juncture is Mean Green Mother from Outer Space. Ooh. So subsequently, as the three girls chorus explains, Audrey 2's buds become a worldwide craze, worldwide craze, fueled by the greed of their owners who provided them with blood. Audrey 2 buds grow into an army of monstrous plants that begin to take over the earth. Giant Audrey 2 plants are shown topping buildings, destroying cities, eating people. The United States Army fights the buds as they ascend the Statue of Liberty, and Audrey 2 bursts through the movie screen to eat the audience. Huh. The name of the final song is Don't Feed the Plants. Well, very one, one would hope. Right. After two failed test screenings in San Jose and Los Angeles, in which the audiences rejected the ending, the theatrical happy ending was shot in which both Audrey and Seymour survive, and Audrey, too, is destroyed. Mm-hmm. So that's the happy ending we know and love. Right. Which I would I would assume would read better with the audience. Probably. I think uh, the original ending is probably a better allegory for, you know, if we all continue to pursue this dream rather than, um, like, helping each other, mm-hmm. we're going to destroy each other. Sure. Like, that's... The story. Yeah. Um, but the the second ending is by far the happier ending. So as the website Black Girl Nerds points out, co- 
quote, cult classics are appreciated by a smaller audience because they often represent an underrepresented group and contain a message that typically is not recognized by the masses. Either way, we are thankful that these projects exist as they challenge our current way of life, expose the truth, and force us to take a good long look in the mirror and decide whether the beast we have become so accustomed to feeding is really ourselves. Mm. And I love that quote, and I love that perspective. Also, Black Girl Nerds, shout out. They did an amazing review of this cult classic um, and really dig deeper into how this is an allegory for a lot of the problems that we're experiencing and selling your soul to the devil to try and make a better life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I love the question of whether the beast we're feeding or the beast we've become so accustomed to feeding is really ourselves. Like, are we the people who are so willing to go out of our way to climb the ladder that we're willing to hurt people? Um, And then I think the bigger question is, how does everything keep circling back to capitalism? (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Because it seems to. Um, But I think this movie stood out to me so much because of the social ills that are demonstrated and how um, like people are just trying to survive and just trying to get out of their environment and Mm -hmm. find a better way of life. Right. And it feels like the only way to do that is to hurt others and take advantage of others. Um, But ultimately the music in this movie was fantastic. Mm -hmm. There were some wonderful lines. Um. The Greek trio were, like, my very favorite characters. Yeah. Um, and they played a few other roles, but mostly, like, they were the, the three moving the plot along. I think what the movie did for me was realize to look around at all the plants in my own home. <laughs> and, like, when we, when we moved into this house, we were like, oh, my God, we need plants. And then, like, we've planted plants, and now we have plants. And now some of the plants are performing better than some of the other plants. Right, right. I'm like, oh, my God, I don't know shit about plants. Have you tried to feed any of them your blood? Not a, not a one. Maybe, maybe that's the problem. I, I feel like that's not the best way to go about it but if all else fails who are we to judge well and some of them you know they're all like give them too much water and they'll die give them not enough water and they'll die too much sunlight and they'll die not enough they'll die you want to know the trick yes okay um as you are going around and watering your plants when you brush your hair take the pieces of your hair that fall out and plant them in the plant um Whatever it is that's in your hair is really good for the plants. Oh. And so we've been, like, planting the tips of my partner's locks in plants, Uh and they are all just absolutely booming. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. So plant a little hairball with your plants. I love that. I I will do that. I forget what it is as they break down, but there's some nutrient in your hair Mm -hmm. that's just really great for plants. Huh. So that's the secret. Well, perfect. I wish that Seymour had known. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, me too. But if all else fails, try blood. Sure. Um, or your mortal enemies. Sure, sure, sure. I don't think I have any. That's a good thing. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say so. There's no one you'd want to feed to a plant? No one I'm willing to name on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> also fair. Uh, anything else that stood out to you about this movie or that you would like to talk about? No, I think it was just a super fun one. I think we're really drawn to like the 80s and 90s cult. For 70s, sure. 80s, and 90s cult classics. There was like a 30-year window where they we were covered all so good. A lot of the a lot of the the cult movies, but I think we love a musical. I think we love an underdog and I think yeah. that we love like a minimal cast. Like a lot of I think that's what cult movies often have is just like a few Bare key bones characters and we really get invested in them and this was the first time i'd seen this movie so i had a great time watching it it was a first for me too and i wish i'd known it was both of our first i would have suggested that we did it together i know but i, know. I was a little embarrassed to tell you that it was my first time because i feel like i should have seen it ages ago oh i know it's been on the list um i think i watched it on, on hbo max i watched it on prime on prime okay mm-hmm. perfect yeah so yeah. for those of you who are interested i'm sure 
50% of you have seen it. I'm sure 50% of you now are going to watch it. And you um, should, because it's phenomenal. And grab your friend. Grab your friend that you listen to this podcast with. Grab, grab a your, cocktail. Grab your BFF. Grab yeah. your cocktail. And uh, sit down and have a whirlwind little evening. A little ride. And then you're going to have suddenly Seymour stuck in your head for the rest of the night. Because I know I did. And you're welcome. Perfect. Well, we don't have to do intersections because this is our once a month-ish cult episode. We hope that you guys are still enjoying these. Let us know on our Instagram. If you have not left us a five-star review, what are you waiting for? And uh, if you reach out to us on Instagram, let us know what you thought of the movie, what you thought of the cult topic. Um, We would love to hear from you. And... Yeah, we just hope you have a great week, great weekend. We love you so much. If you support us, blink twice. And if you're out there, keep listening. Thank you for listening to Podcast Without an Audience. Find us on social media at Pod Without an Odd. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook. Or find us on the web at podcastwithoutanaudience.com. Shoot us an email at podwithoutanodd at gmail.com. Our cover art is created by an actual angel, Ashley Acevedo. Our music is by Zach Smith and Ted Oliver. Editing by Jacob Beeson. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and all of our nerdy content. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us today. Oh, and check out our Patreon for exclusive content and our pasta recipe. Again, thanks, and keep listening. Keep listening.